Have you ever felt like an imposter? Do you sometimes doubt your skills, fearing that one day you'll be exposed as a fraud, despite the evidence that you're a talented individual that has achieved a great deal? But I, I've always been not confident. I've, I've I spent my, most of my life thinking I'm not very good. You know, I still feel that on a daily basis. I'm Simon Ratcliffe, and this is Turning the Tables, a podcast dedicated to the candid, powerful stories of people who have turned around adversity in their personal or business lives to find new purpose and meaning. Each episode, my guests share their insight about how to turn adversity into advantage. Research suggests that somewhat ironically, one in three high-achieving women and men suffer from imposter syndrome. My guest on episode 27 of Turning the Tables is impact guru Esther Stanhope. As a former BBC Live producer, Esther has spent a career helping people overcome their public speaking fears, whether that's on TV or in the boardroom. Her approach to teaching people is refreshingly honest. Despite being a confessed chatterbox extrovert, Esther has had to confront her demons. Her father died when she was five years old from heart disease, leaving her in survival mode for much of her childhood. Driven to achieve, Esther overcame her own self-doubts interviewing thousands of celebrities and coaching performances, people like George Clooney, Boris Johnson and the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. But the past came back to haunt her when she suffered a heart attack, leading to a reassessment of her life and lifestyle. We talk about what was behind Esther's self-doubts. How a CrossFit class in New York sparked her health scare, and how Esther is helping women entrepreneurs to build confidence and overcome their fears of public speaking. And finally, be sure to listen to the end when Esther tells us about her recipe to survive adversity. We started our conversation by me telling Esther I was a little intimidated being interviewed by her given her background. I must say, I was... It was some trepidation, actually, to to do this interview because, because, uh, as you've said, you are the the impact guru (laughs) and therefore I was was slightly worried there'd be such a blizzard of positivity that I would somehow or other shrink away from from our conversation. (laughs) But... um, I'll do my I'll do my best and you can give me some tips at the end. <laughs> that is so funny. People quite often people say, I wish I'd done some coaching before I came to this coaching session. It, absolutely, and I said, What are you yes. talking about then? Yeah, but you're professional, you must be really good. Okay, so let's start. Simon, I I'm not here to judge. I'm not I don't think anyone is bad. All I ever try and do is find the goodness in everyone. <laughs> what I'm looking for is what is good, not not what is bad. <laughs> And that's and that's a great a great place to start. Actually, you've made your career originally in in broadcasting and 
working at the BBC. But obviously now you are now working in the whole area of helping people with their public speaking, with their confidence, with their delivery and all those kind of things. I guess my question was, why? What was it in your previous career and your what's happened to you in your life that led you there? So there's a few reasons. The, the simplest reason is I really wanted to be an entrepreneur and make some money. <laughs> And, and as you know, from being in a, uh, your background's advertising and working in the media, you're not necessarily an entrepreneur when you're in the media machine. Uh, so that's one reason. I wanted to build my own operation, enterprise, whatever you want to call it, and and be my own boss. And I knew at the BBC for quite a few years that there was more to life than this. There must be more to it than this. And I always knew I wanted to spread my wings, set up my own thing. So that's one reason. Um, another reason is because I really, really love helping people. I love what I do. I love getting a really brilliant performance out of people. I'm also slightly, you know, I've been called a box of frogs and a fruit cake, slightly quirky, maybe a bit mad, <laughs> right? And I actually quite I just want to be free to, I want to be able to be myself and I want to be able to use my skills. And I didn't know about skills and USPs, your unique selling point. And I didn't know really what I was good at and why I was good at it. For many years, I was just really good at getting performances out of people, really good at, you know, Boris Johnson would come in and I would manhandle him into the live studio and get a decent performance out of him for five minutes. <laughs> and, and somebody that wasn't so accomplished, nervous people maybe shy actors would come in into a live studio environment and I and I could coax them into getting you know I could get a good performance out of anyone and back in my when I went to college you know I was I tended to go for the directing rather than acting myself I avoided the spotlight quite a lot and I always opted to be the director and I'd get really good performances out of people and I don't really know if I knew what I did, what what I was good at. I didn't know, what is it that I, what, why am I good at getting perform good performances out of people? I couldn't really answer that question then. And even now, I don't know if I can answer it, apart from the fact that that's what my USP is and that's what I'm good at and that's what I absolutely love doing. So to set up my own business, working in business now, not so much in media, I do work with media um, organisations a lot, but I'm now working much more of a, entrepreneurial environment helping people to pitch and present at conferences and I work with really quite senior people people that aren't so good at performance but I know how to get them to be really good so so it, it's it's really a, a partly an entrepreneurial reason as well as using all my skills which are quite difficult to put my finger on it's quite difficult to put your finger on your skills and I've written a book so I've, I've managed to kind of use my creativity and my storytelling skills and and, and I, who can say that about their career who can say they've put all the things these strange box of frogs <laughs> all their attributes and their skills and what they love you know, all together and made a career out of it yeah obviously you, you've commented on yourself about your personality have you always been a, a very positive energetic person is there has anything changed in that what brought that out in you you know it's funny because I think for many years I've always been quite afraid like everyone else 
I've, I'm not that confident. I, I, people think if you're outgoing and you're an extrovert that you are very, very confident and actually extroversion and just being a chatterbox, which is what I was accused of at school. <laughs> You know, being that kind of out there, talky, chatty person doesn't necessarily mean confident. Just means that you're chatty and you've got an extrovert personality, i.e. you like people, you get on with people, you get energy from people. But I, I've always been not confident. I've, I've, I've spent my, most of my life thinking I'm not very good. I'm a bit crap, actually. You know, I still feel that on a daily basis. I've, I wasn't very good academically compared to my brother, for example. So from a very, very young age, I thought I was a bit dumb and maybe I was the funny, silly one. And I really, seriously, and even now I catch myself still thinking that. And it's partly because my I'm, I'm one of six children. My my brother, who's directly older than me, he was a genius, Harry. He was like a proper genius. He was a child genius. He could play the piano like Beethoven when he was four. He was in set one for maths for the eight-year-olds when he was five. You know, he went to private school. He got two scholarships. So I thought that if you're clever and you're academically intelligent, you know, you get scholarships into private schools and you play piano like Beethoven. And that's what clever is. So I'm not clever, you know, and even now I, I, I'm so I think I'm I think I was semi dyslexic, but dyslexia hadn't been invented when I was at school. <laughs> so I was never treated for it or I never I never even questioned the fact that I was a bit of a slow reader. I just had this almost like a inner secret that I was a bit slow. I couldn't really quite get it. I didn't really understand what was going on. And I I feel as if I worked really 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 hard I feel as if I remember one time when I was I think six or seven and um the PE teacher my mum was a teacher at my my first school which is really embarrassing but I remember the PE teacher saying to my mum about the swimming lesson he said to her the thing about Esther is that she puts in the most effort but she gets the least distance (laughs) 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 so I kind of feel like maybe I'm you know, and if you ask my kids, they'll say, oh, she tries too hard. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I feel like I have to put in effort. There's something in me that's inbuilt that you have to put in lots of effort. That's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? And I, th- um, I think this is not, you're not alone in this, in that often where there is a certain shyness or lack of confidence, actually people compensate by almost going in the opposite direction and, and, you know, being overtly extrovert because it's a way of sort of protecting themselves and it's a way of overcoming that shyness. I mean, it's true of lots of comedians and personalities, actually, isn't it, that they actually off-camera they, they are quite different people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so so first of all, this, I've, I found out a couple of interesting statistics. So apparently if you have a trauma in your life between the age of naught to seven years old you're you're something like 70 percent likely to be extrovert which i think is really it was it was on one of those bbc quizzes a few did years ago did you have a trauma yeah so my my dad died when i was five nearly six and so as a child you know i had a really sad we had a massive hole in our childhood you know we we had a massive trauma which we can I'll talk about he he had he died of a sudden heart attack he was a healthy man very intelligent man died of a sudden heart attack age 40 which which will come back to haunt me later in life which we'll talk about in a bit when we talk about health having that 
trauma, when you're five, six years old, you don't think about how is this shaping me? What is my personality? Who am I? I think I started life in that age, age five to six, just in that survival mode, I suppose. But I thought it was really interesting, though, when I read this this article, I watched this quiz thing on the BBC and it was about personality types. And I thought, wow, that is really interesting because I definitely am, am under that. I'm a textbook scenario. I'm literally a textbook, you know, trauma between naught to seven, extrovert. And I thought that is just so, because I am extrovert and, and I can't help it. I can't help myself, you know, getting my energy from people and loving people and and being and being talkative however what i what i've learned in life is that if you're not allowed to be yourself if you are a bit crazy or a bit extrovert a bit creative an ideas person whenever i do those personality tests like that belbin test i've, I've done many personality tests there's one called the belbin test and um i think it's got nine different personality types and I always come out as the plant. I don't know if you've ever done that test, have you? Yes. <laughs> the plant, which is kind of the oddball ideas person. You can't really it quite is, place it. It's about ideas, isn't it? It's about yeah. putting thoughts in, into the into play. So I think that I, you know, I never really found where I fit in. I felt, I think I secretly never felt like I was good enough, like I didn't really fit in. I didn't know anything about personality tests. So when I wasn't able to be myself, I could really, I could be really crushed quite easily, I think. That's why, I, I suppose that's why I really love helping people who struggle with confidence. I think I, it's because I've been there. I think I know what it's like to feel two inches tall and a bit like a failure. You've obviously got, you know, you've got an awareness of, of what happened and how you developed perhaps the way you did. With that knowledge, does it change anything about the way you think about yourself or anything like that? Does it have an impact knowing that your personality has evolved through the circumstances of your life? Definitely. I mean, I think as you get older and as if you go through traumas and different different episodes in your life, um, and I did have a health scare, which was, you know, I inherited the heart disease from my dad. As you go through life and you get older, you realise, oh, for God's sake, just be yourself. What's wrong with you? Why are you holding yourself back? You know, and it's not because I don't care what people think, because of course I care what people think of me. But what I've realised is use what you've got. Make the most of yourself. You can be yourself. And, and guess what? If you're a bit extrovert or you're a bit out there and you've got ideas, some people won't like it. Some people won't like you. They, you'll get on their nerves. But it's okay. Carry on. Just be yourself and don't try and please everybody and stop trying to hide your true self. And and that is, is the thing that's changed my life. And that's how I feel I can change people's lives. I can say, it's okay to not be loved by 100% of the population because you'll never be 100%. You're never going to please everybody all of the time. So the best thing you can do is be your own flavour, your own essence, your own whatever it is that makes you tick, the thing that makes you you, be it. So what? <laughs> so what is the real you and how have you changed 
as a result of understanding that? I suppose the real me is somebody who's... I'm an ideas person who's... And my brain pops and it pops in different directions and I can be... It can, it can be really difficult to live like that. <laughs> Because it's like, what about this? What about that? What about this? I'm ridiculously optimistic. I'm an, I'm a, I'm an optimist. I'm a, I'm also a, what do you call it? An opportunist. <laughs> I'm an optimistic opportunist, ideas person who likes to, you know, I feel as if I like the new stuff. I want, I like the next big thing. Sometimes again, that can be quite dangerous. <laughs> Always looking for the next big thing because you need to have stability as we've talked about earlier, in order to have good mental health and to live a good life, you need to have quite a lot of consistency, stability. You want to be, you want balance. But I think the real me is, I, I've just given myself permission to, you know, be funny, fun, enjoy life more and enjoy having ideas and, and realising those ideas, writing them down posting stuff, taking photographs, you know, just being much more, living a positive life. Because you said, um, you said, you know, you, you feel more, more at peace with yourself, you know, more understanding of your makeup and why you do the things you do. Mm. What's happened to that lack of confidence and that shyness and that self-doubt that you had? Oh, I think Is it's it definitely... still there? Yes. I think everybody's... Um, lacks confidence. You were saying earlier about comedians and working in the media. You know, I used to say the bigger the, you know, when people, when you have big egos, you know, you, you work with these big personalities. And I used to say, particularly at the BBC, you see people every day, you see these big personalities. And I used to say, well, the bigger the ego, the bigger the inner demons. <laughs> you know, and yes. it plays out, doesn't it, in Hollywood. You know, you hear all these stories and people that, you know, the bigger the personality, the bigger their drug problem. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think I think we've all got inner demons. I, I don't think it's possible to, to live life without them. I think it's just no. about managing them. I think I can manage my inner demons better. Well, I guess only you could answer that. But for many people, the awareness is the most important aspect because as you say, you know, we're not perfect. You know, we're, we're all a, a bunch of thoughts, self-identities, anxieties. And actually just being aware of how, you know, the makeup of that is a massive step forward rather than unconsciously being like that and wondering why you feel the way you do. So I, I still think I'm a little bit, I'm not going to say in denial because I don't think I'm in denial exactly, but I did have a health scare in 2017. So, uh, you know, my business was working really well. I was speaking at events and um, considering I wasn't a very confident speaker in terms of public speaking, you know, it was quite a, a journey for me to, to be able to speak at events. I was going, I was flying around the world. I was going to New York, to Amsterdam and things were going really well with my business, my speaking business. And, you know, I've got two kids at school. I'm busy, busy mum. Typical of me, you know, busy, 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 getting on this flight, getting on that flight without thinking necessarily about slow down. And, and I used to actually really dislike it if people said to me, you should slow down. And I used to think, no, I don't want to slow down. That's not me. Anyway, I had a mild heart attack in 
2017. And that made me slow down. I had to stop. That was quite shocking. Did that come out of the blue? Well, okay, so like any condition, as you said earlier, like any condition, there's a process and there's symptoms and the doctors don't know what the symptoms are. You don't know what the symptoms are. So there were symptoms of lack of breathing, like couldn't quite catch my breath. At first, I put it down to airports because every time I seemed to be at Heathrow, I had this kind of breath issue. And I thought maybe there's some sort of weird chemical they're using here because I can't quite breathe properly. And, you know, I used to be a social smoker. You know, I've always drunk alcohol in my, you know, I've always been a bit of a lived well, play hard, work hard, whatever person. So I was thinking, oh, is it my, is it smoking? Is, and I'd never had asthma before, but I thought maybe I had some sort of weird asthma thing. Anyway, I had these symptoms of lack of oxygen, basically. It turned out it, it was mild heart attack, but I didn't actually collapse at any point, but I did feel like collapsing quite a few times, but there were intermittent symptoms, feeling down the left arm, a slight feeling of pressure on the chest, but nothing dramatic and certainly not what I would... My dad collapsed of a heart attack suddenly in 1977. I didn't have that. I never had a heart attack, but I was treated for a heart attack and I have actually got a stent now. I've got I had a stent put in because one of my arteries was blocked. The, the one moment I remember thinking, I think of there's something really wrong with me was when I was in New York. Uh, I was in America and my sister-in-law took me to a CrossFit class. Like It's like one of those really hardcore boot camp yes. weight training classes in America. Yes. Like with these really fit army women, like, come on, up, down, up, down. And I was doing a burpee, you know, burpees with weights, right? A burpee is basically on the floor, get up, yes, put the weight I above know. your head, go back down. I mean, it, you, it couldn't be worse. If you've got a heart condition, do not do a burpee. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly don't, no. do a, don't do a burpee with weights because you will literally turn green and vomit. And I remember thinking, I really feel like I'm going to collapse and I'm going to oh my goodness, this is bad. I feel dizziness, just feeling like really strange, feeling sick, your gut hurts, you're, you're just that feeling of... And I remember thinking, if I don't breathe this out, because I, I know about breathing, because I'm you know I'm used to anxiety, how to quickly combat anxiety. I'm, I'm really good at knowing these quick fixes, <laughs> like breathing slowly in through the nose, out through the mouth. It's like pregnancy breathing. That, that can immediately bring your heart rate down. And it's really, I mean, I think on, on every level, if you're not feeling well or you're not feeling good or you've got pain, you can almost breathe your way out of trouble. So I did these breathing exercises outside the CrossFit gym. And I thought, if I don't concentrate on these bre on these breaths, I'm going to collapse. And that was when I thought, this isn't good. I've got to, you know, something's wrong. But I really, really didn't know that I had a serious condition. I'm also one of six children and four of them are boys, brothers, that haven't had a heart attack. And, and again, I was had the unconscious bias belief that you're more likely to have a heart attack if you're a man and you're older and you drink and smoke more than me. So I really didn't look as if I was a heart attack victim and I didn't, you wouldn't look at me and think heart attack victim. So I just didn't have a clue when it happened to you, given obviously what happened to your father, what what effect did, did it have on you? Well, 
I do remember sitting in the Royal London Hospital in East London, near where, where I live, actually, and looking out the window, and it was a beautiful view. And I just looked out the window and I thought, I'm sitting in a hospital room looking out of the window. This isn't where I should be. What am I doing here? I haven't finished life yet. I can't accept this. This isn't right. I thought, wow, all those years of, you know, my dad's death obviously affected our entire lives. And I thought, this is, you know, it's it's affecting me now. I've really, this is the moment I've got to do something about this. I've, I can't, I can't just let my life fade away. And I think I actually quite enjoyed having to stop. But again, I have my laptop with me and I was writing blogs. <laughs> I started writing. I actually wrote my book after that because I thought, I haven't written my, I'm not finished yet. I've got to write my book. I haven't even written my book yet. I, obviously, I thought my loads of my whole life was going flashing before my eyes, but it wasn't a sudden flash. It was like a long wait because I had to wait to have my angiogram and wait for the tests and stuff. I was stuck in this room, you know, with my thoughts, with my laptop. And, and I thought, I've really got to make a decision here. I have got to change what I do. I've got to get, get my health sorted. I didn't really quite know then what it was, like what exactly. I didn't know I had a blocked artery. I didn't know I had a heart condition. I mean, I had been told that it was very, it was, it was probably hereditary because heart disease, the most likely reason, obviously stress and smoking and drinking and living a fast lifestyle or whatever you want to call it, probably didn't help. But I did realise that something had to be done. So the the big difference now, I mean, I really do enjoy not travelling all the time. I do enjoy light and shade. But my general tendency is to always overpack my diary. I have learned to stop doing that so much. But so it was, re it was really interesting when, when COVID-19 happened, because again, it was like, you have to stop. Yes. You are not allowed to leave the building <laughs> apart from a walk. I was like, brilliant, I can walk in the morning. So of course I've walked every morning. I've done at least 10,000 steps like since COVID-19. Well, it's interesting because you, you you have defaulted to the achievement thing again, haven't you? Where uh, interesting, you reflected. Well, yeah, you know, oh goodness me, I can't, I couldn't, I can't pass away now because there's, I still there's so much I need to do, and and obviously the same with the walking. So obviously, the, the, this achievement driver is very, very deep in your psyche, isn't it? Yeah, and I can't, and I have quite, you know, I do question it, like what. Why do I have to do that? <laughs> yes. Why do why? I? Why? Well, I suspect you probably know why. I'm not. I'm not 100, percent Simon. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I have. I've got theories, but I don't think I know why I have to achieve something every day. What What's the theory then? I mean, there's definitely this. You know, the, human beings are built to have instant gratification. <laughs> well, there's like an instant, you know, like we're built to have, like we want to eat, we want to 
procreate, whatever it is. We, we've got these, we've got inbuilt urges. And I like to feel I can say, yep, yeah, I feel good about that. It's like I have to feel good about something. And I don't want it to, to be just, I don't want to do drugs, alcohol, all the rest of it. I don't want to do that. I, I want to feel like, you know, that was good. I, I, I feel good about that. I want to feel good about it. You know, I'm a typical goal, you know, I'm a goal-driven person. I wanted to achieve a, a goal. Mm. And yet I don't achieve all goals in life, you know. A lot of them I'm, you know, I don't achieve. Well, no, 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 one, no one does, do they? I mean... I think what's interesting is that you know there's nothing wrong with achievement, is there? It's not like it's a you know nasty disease, other than the point where it takes over your life and impacts your health, the people around you, you know, the wider community. Absolutely. So I mean, that's the only negative side of it. Nothing wrong with achievement. It's just when it takes over your life in a destructive way. Yeah, and, and, and when you have a, a heart attack and you have a wake-up call, because you, it's not because you work so hard, although it would be very easy to blame that. I think it really is, you know, that is, that's a wake-up call, isn't it? That is a problem if you are overworked. I don't think I had a heart attack because I worked too hard. However, I don't think it helped. I think, I think also, yeah. you know, I haven't watched my health I've I've been a healthy person, but I've I've I didn't watch my health that much before, whereas I do now. And again, I've learnt. I actually really, really love doing my little morning yoga routine. I really love walking in the morning, <laughs> and then my willpower just goes downhill all day. <laughs> no, but you you have done those things. So um, both of those things are things for the, the body and the soul aren't yes. they? they are they are just taking a step away from that you know relentless drive 24 7 which is of course the thing that catches up and may, may have been behind obviously the your heart attack so how does it how did i mean you've obviously been through that issue you've had your stent so i guess things are now in more balance What's changed going forward? What have you observed has changed in what you're doing now and the way you're doing it? I think it took me quite a long time to get over the heart attack mentally because I think what what that did was that really shook me up physically. But I think mentally it really, really shook me up. So I, so, so I think now what's changed is that I, I think I lost my confidence a bit and I really didn't feel great. So for me, it's all about, I want to do things that make me feel good, feel happy, feel well. You know, I, I really, really, whether it's, whether it's a health kick like yoga or diet, for me, it's about, I want to feel good and I want to help people. I want them to feel good. Now, in terms of what you're doing today, are you doing anything different? I mean, are you taking a different sort of route to your to your expertise? So you'd think um, because of COVID-19 and because of the lockdown, um, you'd, you know, I remember in March 2020, all my business was cancelled. <laughs> But you would think, considering now we're doing loads of virtual online 
video conferencing and podcasts and things like this, virtual communication, that I would be well placed right now in my career. So I have embraced the change, which is be more virtual, be more, do stuff remotely, do more video, do more writing, do more posting. Um, so right now, in a way, it's been, for me, I'm, it's been quite good having the change of the way we've, or changed the way we've worked, the change of less travel, the change of um, doing things more virtually, because now I can write more, I can create online products and programs more. So I've got my speak like a she boss, considering I've got a slight lisp, it's not a great title, is it? <laughs> speak <laughs> like a she boss. Because I, 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 I think I keep saying sheep somewhere in the sentence. Speak like a she boss. It, it was like I, one of my really popular masterclasses was called speak like a leader. And it's a, just helping people to speak better. Because that's my, you know, my bread and butter is helping people to speak well, pitch well, and speak at conferences and get themselves out there and be more visible. And the speak like a she boss is because a lot of my clients that are quite successful senior women don't really like the sensation of standing up in a conference, in a virtual video meeting, at a co in a boardroom, uh, or just the, the sensation of having a camera on you that feeling of nakedness, that feeling of being out of control. A lot of women in particular really don't like that sensation and that is holding them back in their careers. And considering, you know, the story at the moment is that we want more women in the boardroom. There's loads of studies done. If you have a more diverse senior team, you will be more successful. But the trouble is you don't see and hear that many women uh, in senior levels quite often in senior positions so what are the principles of the way you you help people in that regard i mean what what's the core of what you try to do to make people more confident in their speaking well i think the first thing is to understand that it really is good for you for your career for your you can persuade people and influence people and you can make a difference and you can mentor people and you can be a role model like just the first the first step is the mindset which is you can help others if you put yourself in a position of visibility so that's one thing and then the, the other thing is if you just believe me I've done it I've been there and done it and I've failed lots of times if you do it and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again it's not scary anymore. You really can combat your fear. You really can be good at it as well. And you, nobody is far away from being really good at speaking and sharing their stories. And so I think it's, so it's the combination of, hang on a minute, I owe it to the world. <laughs> I owe it to other people. I owe it to other women or people, whatever. It's more than me. Um, and so I think that so when people are convinced that they can do it, then all we've got to do is just practice it and do it. So my Speak Like a She Boss program is all about doing it and getting people to do it. And I actually, they, they get a gig at the end of it and they have to do a little mini speech at the end of it. So it's really good. I mean, look, if you look back, at, you know, 
your your journey, your career, what you're doing now. What what would you say to people about adversity and how to deal with it and manage it in their life? I mean, me personally, I always like to think of solutions and I like to think of a what can the outcome be? There must be a good outcome. Maybe because I'm I'm a fighter. I'm I'm that kind of personality. It's like there will be good. Good can come of it. I mean, maybe I'm a bit callous, I don't know, but I always think you can make something out of where, whatever you've got in front of you. You, It's about surviving it and getting through it and something good can come from it. I think also now, because I'm quite biased about the writing things down and writing it and using every piece of life is a piece of material that you can write about, right? I would say, I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be public, actually, but writing stuff down and accepting where you are, and it makes so much difference, actually, because you can express yourself and you can have your private thoughts. You can capture those thoughts. I think it is a really good form of therapy. But the main thing is something good can come of it. Yes. Something good, something good can come of everything. Well, look, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Really enjoyed it, Esther. And, I mean, you you have been true to form. You have been the impact guru. (laughs) Well, I'll take that as a compliment. But I thank you for, for delving a bit deeper and getting underneath the skin of things because I think that's what people will understand that, you know, whilst on the surface you're very successful and confident and helping people in lots of ways, you know, you've admitted you have your own insecurities and doubts and, and, you know, it's not all been plain sailing. Well, thank you so much, Simon. It's um, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you and to speak to a kindred spirit. Thank you. The issues Esther raised about those nagging feelings of self-doubt and lack of confidence are issues I'm sure we can all relate to. As Esther commented, the bigger the personality, the bigger the demons. Isn't it ironic that people who appear extrovert on the surface are often the people who have the most self-doubt? What struck me is how her energy and positivity has helped Esther to overcome the challenges she faced. And that you can build confidence by being yourself and not worrying about what others think. A great lesson, I'm sure you'll agree. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning the Tables. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and be sure to listen out for the next episode, where I again will be exploring with my guests how they turned adversity into advantage. See you next time. Go safely.